Welcome. If you're a woman who has a sense that there's more out there for you, you're in the right place. I'm Whitney Baker, host of the Electric Ideas podcast. Somewhere along the line of working kids, life carried on, but I lost track of my truth. I'm on a reflective journey, and that's what this podcast is all about. Each week, I interview a woman who is lighting her own path and offering others hope. Before our conversation ends, we'll share a reflective question for you to explore. Sometimes all we need is a jolt, a fresh idea, an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Welcome back to Electric Ideas. Before we get into this episode, I want to encourage you to pause and consider popping earbuds in if you have little ears around or if you're in a public space, because this episode might contain content that you'd prefer to enjoy privately. So today's guest is Jana Denton House. Jana is a marriage coach who has spent many years helping women who are married to men want and enjoy sex more. And I just want to note that I honor all loving relationships and expressions, but this specific episode is focused on women who are in long-term relationships with men, simply because that's this week's guest's area of expertise. So I know talking about sex can feel uncomfortable or even taboo, but as I learned more about Jana and her passion and specific niche, I got really excited about having her on the show because who she really specializes in helping is women who want to want sex with their husbands, but just don't. So if that's you, or if you're just looking to feel a little bit more empowered when it comes to intimacy, I think you're going to have some great takeaways. So as I always say, take what resonates, leave the rest behind. Let's get into it. All right, Jana, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Whitney. I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. Me too. And I know that you who have helped thousands of women enjoy more sex in these long-term committed relationships. So I wanted to kind of start with an eagle-eye view of why this is even important for us to put at the forefront. Oh, goodness. What a great question to start. Personally, for me, I think it's really important because Well, I think that women not only deserve pleasure, but they also deserve to be in spaces and places in their homes and in their relationships in which they feel safe, in which they feel comfortable, in which they are allowed to ebb and flow with their desires without feeling guilty or broken or like a failure. You know, really the work I do is kind of like a underground feminist movement (laughs) because ultimately what I help women do is feel free, free to express desires, free to say no, free to make adjustments, free to have pleasure that is actually pleasurable for them and not a performance or something that they're doing to keep their husbands happy. That's probably why I gravitated to you. (laughs) Cause I do feel like there's this sense of women's empowerment that threads throughout all of what you put out into the world. And one of the things that you talk about a lot that I feel is helpful is that sometimes with popular TV and movies and the way that intimacy is portrayed makes women feel like they're not 
doing it right or they're doing something wrong or it sometimes can sabotage what we think intimacy should look like. So what do you have to say about that? Oh, yeah, I call it the media sex formula. And it is very, it's very specific. So what we're seeing in TV, and I mean, we're looking at probably 80%, if not more 80 to 90% of directors are male. And so it really is through the male lens. And not only that, it's a performance of pleasure, which is sometimes hard for us to distinguish that this is a performance with privacy covers and lights and people watching and, you know, all of that stuff that goes into show business. But yeah, it's primarily focused on what brings men pleasure. And it's very formulaic. We have, you know, the passionate kiss, we have the the penetrative intercourse that ends in male orgasm. We have a vague sense that women are feeling some pleasure, but typically it's through like moaning and, and other sorts of performative act. That's not usually what women look like when they're in pleasure. And because we live in a culture of shame around sex, where we're not talking to our friends about it, we're not talking to our moms about it or aunts, we're not getting healthy education in school. I think things are getting a little bit better. Having teenage daughters, I've seen it improve since I was in school. But for the most part, we're still just talking about reproduction, really, for girls Boys are learning about wet dreams and erections and other things, pleasure related. Girls are typically talked about pain, you know, pain during menstruation, pain during childbirth, pain with your first time having sex. So it just puts it in a really difficult situation where we're not getting any other education except for these shows that we're watching on the big screens with lots of people in movie theaters. So we're just getting these information, but we're not having any place to question it, to break it down, to wonder, you know, to discuss. So it's kind of a, it's a really bad situation that women are in right now. I hadn't thought about it that way, that our earliest presentations are associated with almost pain and it's very taboo to talk about. It's still culturally bring in, you know, cultural influences, how we were raised. I understand that it is a complex soup, right? It's not something that there's a magic wand, I imagine, for any woman. But I would guess that you, having worked with so many women, probably have some good advice for where to begin in terms of designing a sex life that actually works for us. Well, I I really appreciate that you started with the media sex formula because that is where we need to start. We need to start looking at what are the cultural messages that we've been taught through childhood, through media, through well-intentioned but maybe misinformed members of our religious communities, through romance novels and popular culture. Like, What are the messages that we have been taught that have led us to the place where we feel we are broken, that we are not normal? So it's compassion. That's the first place to go open your eyes, look around, look at the advertisements you're being inundated with. Be like, oh, I'm told that to have great sex, I need to look like that. I need to put my bum out, my breasts out and and have this position and, and I need to look sexy. That's where I need to go. So let's buy some lingerie and let's perform pleasure. Well, it makes sense that we're doing that because that's where we're taught. It makes sense that we are putting our partner's needs above ourselves because that's what we've been taught. So it's not that we aren't confident or empowered or there's something wrong with us. It's it's literally what we are living in. And it's been happening for centuries. 
you know, if not forever <laughs> at this stage. And, and we really are the first generation to be making a really bold shift, which is really great. So we got to start with compassion. And then the next step is safety. And when I say the word safety, people are usually like, well, I'm in a great relationship. Everything's going well, except for this one thing, you know, just sex. The problem really is that I'm just not never in the mood and I have low desire. And if we could just figure out my hormones or something, then and then everything would be okay. And, and we'd have this like great intimate life. But what I find is that a lot of women actually aren't feeling safe. And so other words would be like comfortable. They're feeling kind of icky. They come out of the shower and then you know, their husbands are looking them up and down and they get that feeling like, oh, sexual jokes are made and just makes you feel a little queasy, pressure. Yeah. So safety is the first step because otherwise you can't go to exploring pleasure. So figuring out what your boundaries are, what are you okay with? What are you not okay with in terms of comments about your body, in terms of looks and in terms of touches as well? And this can be hard to do because as women, that message runs deep that we are supposed to be open and available all the time, you know, for the male gaze and for the male touch, especially if you're in a committed relationship. So the first step is to really ponder where can I increase my comfort in in my home and in my relationship? And that does take some courage. Another thing that stands out to me about what you talk about is kind of turning this whole idea that the generic spicing it up. You said that that actually can be bad advice, if you will, right? So Terrible, terrible (laughs) advice. So why do you think that's not the best advice for women specifically? Yeah, well, I think it goes to that performative piece. Spicing it up, you're going towards, really, it's the excitement. It's the excitement, it's the novelty, it's the role play, however many vibrators you can find. It's the quote unquote dirty talk, whatever. But what I find is that takes women away from themselves. It takes women away from their intuition. It takes women away from what truly brings them pleasure. So yeah, it may feel sexually relevant to your brain. And so you may have a bit of a chemical reaction in terms of like, yeah, this is going to make me a little bit more aroused. But in the long run, it just leads to unsatisfying experiences that you don't want to go back to. So many women tell me that after sex, they cry. Why is that happening? And these are women who, you know, have orgasms. From the outside, it looks, oh, this is great sex. But there's a deep sadness, a deep unsatisfaction that's happening. And then we say, oh, you have a low libido. The problem isn't that you have low libido. I actually hate those terms, low libido, low sex drive. Is that the experiences you're having are incongruent with who you are as a person. So I say, throw out the lingerie, unless you love it, get rid of all the spicing things up things and learn about yourself truly as a human being. Learn about your intuition. Learn how to let that guide you through your life and then also in the sexual experience. Learn what it feels like in your body when you're curious and open and wondering genuinely. And learn what it feels like in your body when you're like, no, this isn't something I want today. Even if you wanted it, you know, a week ago, we're allowed to change and evolve. And then we look at pleasure, of course. We look at pleasure. And and I like to take the pressure out of pleasure and say, pleasure is slightly more positive than neutral. We're not looking for fireworks. We're not more mind-blowing anything. We're looking for a sensation with your five senses 
that feel nice, like a little warm, a little cozy, a little just gentle, good. And let the pleasure build from there. So through your intuition and through your pleasure. And what I'm advising here, I understand it is not a simple three-step process. Because as you're doing this, you're worrying about your partner's experience. You're worrying if he's you know getting bored. You're worrying if if this is kind of weird. Like, you know, in my last sexual experience, I was humming because that that's what brought me pleasure in my body. That's what that's what I wanted in the moment. I mean, I've spent seven, eight years practicing what I teach, you know. So I'm I'm at the stage now where I can lean into what I want in the moment. But uh, I still got culture breathing down my neck saying, this isn't sexual. Got to touch some genitals pretty quick here, you know. So that pressure, whether it's from your partner or culture, is ever present. I really want to reflect that back because I think it's all coming back to maybe the movies, but things have to be like fireworks to be good. And I feel like it really probably puts pressure on us subconsciously that our sex lives have to be explosive in order to be great. I just wanted to echo that. I'm glad you shared that. That makes a lot of sense. So what are some practices you wish all married couples might consider in order to deepen that sense of intimacy in general? Yeah, well, what I see with the couples I work with, because I work with women, but I have been recently working with men as well. So bringing their husbands on board and we have support groups for them and soon we'll have a full program for them as well. And what I see is is having conversations really is what deepens the intimacy. So exploring what messages you are both bringing to the table in terms of your upbringing. What were you taught about sex? What has culture taught you, depending on what gender you are, right? We live in different worlds. What have we not said? I've worked with many, many couples married 30 plus years, and they've never spoken about sex. Just have sex. Maybe they fight about not having it enough. But actually, what is the purpose of it in our relationship? Why are we doing it? Is it for a few seconds of muscle contractions, really? Or is is it serving something else? And how do we put that at the forefront, you know, as the priority that these experiences, we want this to come out of it. A lot of couples will say pleasure and connection. So I think the first step, if there are steps, is to to talk about sex, talk about your fears, talk about the things that you do, but you've never, you, you didn't like. These are hard conversations because men will tell me it feels a bit like I've been deceived, you know, for 16 years, I, I thought she liked me sucking on her earlobe because she never said anything else. But, <laughs> but here we are having this conversation. She freaking hates it. You know, and, and I could yeah. tell you a million stories like this. And it, so it can be, it can be raw and vulnerable, but goodness gracious, like let's do it now rather than in 10, 20 years from now. What else surprises you in these conversations that you feel like is more universal than maybe people think? Well, how similar they all are. When I used to work with couples as a marriage coach outside of the se- you know sexual experiences, they would always come to the first session and say, Jenna, okay, we are so different. We are so different than all the other couples you've ever worked with. And here's the reasons why we're so unique. <laughs> you know, I'm like, actually, you're not that unique. So what I find is 
women feel broken alone and like bad wives and they feel like failures and it's been really interesting to see that men they also feel like failures because they're taught as men that this is their job you make your woman scream in the bedroom that is your job with no education no support and porn quite frankly as their only education which we know is 180 degree from what women actually like and enjoy so that's not really what surprises me. What surprised me, I think, right at the beginning of this, a few things. I thought that when I was going to work with women, number one, a lot of them were going to be experiencing pleasure in the bedroom. Like, let's say orgasm. That's how the culture defines pleasure is orgasm. I don't define it that way. But I'd say over half, even more than that, maybe like 75% of the women I work with have orgasms. That's That's not the problem. I also assumed that the women I would be working with wouldn't have had sex in a long time, like maybe three, four months up to a year. You know, I'm working with women who are labeled of ha having low libido, whether that they're labeling themselves or, or other people are. But that's not the truth. That's not the case. Many women I work with are having like sex three times a week. They're just not telling their partners. That's another surprising thing. I thought for sure this is going to be a topic of conversation that a couple of having, if you've been married 20, 25 years and you're having sex three times a week, and, it, it, and the whole time you've been dreading it, perhaps feeling pain, you would think that there would be a conversation, but no, because culture is so strong for women to power through. This is your duty. This is your obligation. Yeah. A lot of women just aren't telling their partners. Yeah. Well, I have a question and this is nuanced that's coming up because I'm pro showing up and, you know, just having an authentic, intimate connection that feels good for both partners. But I also can hold a truth that I think a lot of women, especially the women in my audience to identify as caregivers, can just feel not sexy. And I get that we're saying you don't have to feel sexy to enjoy sex, but it's confusing, right? So how would you like, how would you pump them up a little bit? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Like that is strongest meshes. And, and not only do you need to feel sexy, you need to feel attracted to your partner. This is really important. It's like the most important ingredient of sex. I mean, watch any TV show and they're thin, muscular, good looking. If we shift sex, a sexual experience away from what it looks like, which is what we're all been conditioned to think of when it comes to sex. And we shift it to what it feels like. That's the big one. So you just don't have to feel sexy. You have five senses. Your senses can feel slightly more positive than neutral. You are allowed anything you need. You know, you're not feeling super pumped about your body recently. Wear clothes. Turn off the lights, close the drapes. Ask your partner not to touch specific areas that you're just not feeling super great about. Everything that you need as a woman, as a human being outside of the bedroom, you get inside the bedroom. There's no invisible line that you cross. Okay, outside of the bedroom, this, you know, you're this caregiver, you're wiping up vomit, you're, you know, putting snacks together or whatever, running kids around. I've got teens. That's all we do. We just carpool. That's, we're just, <laughs> just like taxi drivers. That's all we do now. There's no line. You are still a human being. You are still yourself as a woman in the bedroom with anxiety, depression, to-do lists, worries, concerns, fears, 
complicated feelings about your partner. Maybe you just haven't liked them that day. This whole idea that sex is a performance, it's got to be questioned. You know, I'm not super attracted to my husband physically. I have great sex. I don't super love my body. I'm 40. Something happens when you turn 40. I don't know, but <laughs> lately <laughs> I'm gaining weight. My periods are whack. I'm losing hair. Just It just seems to have hit me all of a sudden. So, you know, I'm not in a place right now where I feel super great about my body and have really wonderful, fulfilling sexual experiences with my partner. So I don't think the two are correlated. That's really helpful. I mean, that's a big, it is so visually oriented and all that we're shown. Because I do know some women maybe don't feel attracted to their partner for various reasons at the moment. It could be physical. It could be because he didn't do the dishes. And then they feel that like shame cycle of like, oh gosh, I'm a horrible person because now I'm judging my husband. And that definitely is not foreplay. (laughs) if you will. So like, what else do you have to say there to just help women kind of know that that could be a normal experience and to move past it in a way that still invites in a positive sexual experience for them? Yeah, just to, you know, take the charge out of it that it's okay if you're not attracted to your partner. It doesn't mean anything about you. You're not a bad person. It doesn't mean anything about your relationship or the viability of it. And it certainly doesn't mean that you can't have fulfilling sexual experiences. So yeah, if that's you, it's totally okay. It makes sense. Bodies change. We age. We grow. We shrink. Bodies are bodies. They shift and change um, over time. So yeah, it's totally okay. I fretted about that for years. I I felt so much shame about that. I didn't know who to confide in. I didn't know who to tell. And I definitely blamed that on my lack of desire. You know, because you don't want to feel broken. You want to find a reason. Oh, it's because he doesn't do the dishes. Oh, it's because he's gained 50 pounds. Oh, it's because I don't have a second to myself. All of those things are true. And all of those things need to be addressed. But when we shift away from, I need to be aroused. I need to figure out this arousal situation. I need to feel the tingling in my vulva, whatever arousal feels like for us. And we shift that to, maybe that's not so important. Maybe we need to stop stressing about that and shift again, I'm kind of like a broken record here, into pleasure, exploring sensations that are slightly more positive than neutral and not worrying if our crotch is on fire or not, not worrying if we want to sort of hump our husband the, the minute he comes in because, you know, that's not the way life works. So we just very practically, I encourage couples to set aside at least weekly a time to explore pleasure and connection together. The important thing is, because this is why scheduling sex doesn't work, and this is what it's not, the important thing is that there are no goals other than the intention of connection and pleasure. And again, pleasure is sensation slightly more positive than neutral. Sometimes my, we call them exploration dates, my exploration dates don't involve genitals, but they are deeply satisfying, fulfilling. Sometimes my exploration dates are very sort of what you would see in the media sex formula. But it's not because I'm performing it. It's because what my body genuinely wanted in that moment. It was interesting because I surveyed my audience knowing you were coming on. And the number one thing that people said they wanted to know about was what we've covered a lot, this low libido. 
in this, what they're calling lack of sex drive. And I know in your experience, you thought that you were going to get your hormones tested and it was going to be like a silver bullet. You'd take a pill and you'd do a 180. And I think that if people want to get their hormones tested, they totally should go for it. But I'd rather know sooner than later that that very likely isn't the culprit. What was your experience there? Oh, yeah. I I learned about low testosterone and I marched off to my doctor and I said, this is going to be it. This is the moment. I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to finally be horny on a more regular basis. And I was so disappointed when everything came back normal. I just felt, oh, for goodness sakes, like, where am I going to go now? Because again, our world is so focused on arousal. You know, there's two types of desire, but I think there's more than two. I think this is just sort of what's been studied so far. So we're looking at spontaneous desire which is what everything is depicted in media, which is that you're just going about your day and suddenly you just want sex. You just want it and you have some sex and it's so simple and easy and spontaneous and wonderful. And that's what we're all looking for. Turns out a lot of us don't work that way. Just plain old biology. We work in a more responsive way. We have responsive desire. And that means that in response to a safe, low pressure, comfortable, space where we can be curious and explore, the feelings of arousal and desire may be cultivated. They may come and they also may go. They ebb and flow. But again, that's not what the media sex formula says. It says you look across the room and you you bite your lip and soon you're going through a doorway, ripping each other's clothes off. <laughs> and you're you're pounding away on the bed and the chandelier above is shaken. And there's some grunts and I think simultaneous orgasms has occurred. We're never really sure. Right. It's yeah. just like, I mean, it's, it's a- I'm laughing because that's just like, <laughs> yeah, that is like every movie. <laughs> every movie. Every movie. There's even a formula for kissing. You got to have a hand on the back of a neck. You will never see kissing again. It is so formulaic. So we're all thinking we're broken because this isn't happening for us. Turns out we've just been taught the wrong thing. The expectations are wrong. So these sexual experiences and what I see women finding fulfilling and myself included, they ebb and flow. They're sort of a, let's try this. See how it feels. Let's try it until it doesn't feel good anymore. Okay, let's rest. Let's rest and and let's reset. And uh, you can talk, you can have snacks, you can have interruptions, because it is a race to the finish line to sort of help prove that you work as a sexual being. I really like that. That's a big shift. I wanted to ask, because you brought up having teenage daughters, and I have lots of nieces, I have two daughters, and... I did feel a little vulnerable even having this conversation because I'm like, oh gosh, what if one of my nieces sees me posting about interviewing about sex? And then I'm like, you know what? I'm part of the problem if that's where my mind goes, right? And so I am trying to create an opportunity where we can talk in a more empowering way for women. But I do think it's tricky to bridge that with when and how we might talk to our daughters. So what is your, what's your advice there? First off, thank you. 
thank you for having the courage to have this conversation and, and bring it. I know the risk it is to do this. I also have my own podcast and I've been very open in some of the episodes and yeah, my daughters are 14 and 15. They can search it up if they want. I even had I had my mother-in-law, you know, share some episodes on Facebook. A lot of times I put stuff out there and I, and I, I question it. And so thank you for joining me on this mission. So our conversations with our girls started with consent, started with labeling parts of their body, including the clitoris, that that is a, the pleasure is part of of sex, you know, when, when it made sense to talk to them about that, talking to them about porn. I know it's an awkward conversation, but earlier the better because of the world we live in. And then in our family, we're not like super, we're not like, we're going to go on sex now, but it is a regular part of my husband's and I experience. We have our exploration dates on Sunday mornings. And so for a long time now, we've been locking the door and letting the girls know that we're we're not going to be available. And, you know, we've used different language like cuddle time or special couple time. And now they know we're having sex, you know, and then also personality wise, interestingly, both my girls aren't super open about talking about sex. They feel pretty uncomfortable, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm respecting their boundaries and not pushing it on them. But, you know, sometimes if we've had a sexual experience and maybe our our drawer where we keep our condoms and and lube, I just use coconut oil, but, you know, are just there. Sometimes I, I don't close the drawer, not because I want to put it on display, but because I don't want to actively hide everything. That this is a shameful thing that we're just going to watch all these sex scenes weirdly together and then and then not talk about healthy sex or that the fact that we're having sex. So. I'm still learning, you know, we're, we're figuring it out. We're navigating boys right now and relationships and how does it feel to kiss and what they would like, what they don't like and what are their decisions. So just a million conversations this is and dealing with my own fears. Am I saying too much? Am I you know, traumatizing them for life by being a little bit more open than that I was raised with? It's such a messy process, I think. I just want to say. I don't think any of us have it figured out, but definitely coming at it from a place where I've done some of my own healing work, I'm able to come, I think, a little bit more grounded to those conversations. Well, thank you for sharing vulnerably about that. I know it's something that a lot of women want to do better <laughs> than how they were raised. But when we don't have that model, it takes some trial and error sometimes. So thank you for your insight. I know we covered a lot of territory. Are there any other messages just on your heart in terms of what you want to leave women in my audience with, especially maybe knowing that that low libido piece, which you said you don't even like that word, was kind of their number one concern right now? Yeah, I mean, I just can't say it enough. You're not broken. You live in a broken world. You are not alone. I mean, I'm thinking 50 to 60% of women who are married to men are dealing with this. So it is impossible that it is an individual problem. We are looking at a systemic issue. And just because you haven't spoken to your friends about it or your, your sisters about it, it doesn't mean that there 
are not other people out there struggling. And I think when I run my free classes and I have, you know, hundreds of women on Zoom and they see each other in the chat, that is the thing that changes people, you know, just so much to see, oh my gosh, all this time, I thought it was just me. It is not just you. Thank you for sharing that. I always wrap my show with inviting people to ask a question that maybe my audience could ponder. So in terms of reclaiming our sexual authenticity is the word that's coming to mind for me. Uh, What's one question women could be asking themselves more? Why would I want sexual experiences to be part of my life for myself? So let's put aside that it's a, you know, a need we're providing or, and also let's make it okay for you never to want to have sex again. Let's make that okay as well. So if we, we, we make it not about your partner, if he's a man and let's make it about what could it fulfill in your life? Is it relaxation? Is it nourishment? Is it a moment to shut out the world for a little bit and explore curiosity and play? Is it to regulate your nervous system? Like just explore. What could it bring to your life as an individual? That's a beautiful place to leave us. Thank you. I know people will want to follow you and learn more. So tell us where we can get more information and follow your journey. Yeah, I think the best place right now is to, you know, since you've got podcast listeners, is to go check out my podcast. It's called Wanting It More. And then my website, janadentonhouse.com, no hyphen. And you can learn more about my program, Wanting It More. And I'm also on Instagram uh, at Jana Denton House. Wonderful. As always, we'll be sure to catch that in the show notes to make it easy. Jana, this was really a treat to connect with you. Thank you for making the time. Thank you for making a space for a conversation about sex. I'm so glad you joined me today. If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at, at @whitneywoman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.